2: Good afternoon. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Karen Kastler, the State House Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and Television. And I'm pleased to introduce today's forum, which is a conversation about the bipartisan congressional redistricting reform amendment known to all voters as issue one. On May 8th, there will be only one statewide issue on Ohio's primary ballot, that's issue one. It will create bipartisan public process for drawing congressional districts. The bill represents a compromise between Ohio Republicans, Democrats, and the Fair District's Fair Elections Coalition to end partisan redistricting or gerrymandering, the process of manipulating district boundaries to provide an advantage to one political party over the other. Unlike past redistricting efforts, the Senate voted unanimously for this, and the House followed with an 82 to 10 vote to place this constitutional amendment on the primary ballot on May 8th. The proposed legislation would would require 50% of the minority party's votes to approve a congressional district map for 10 years. That map would have to keep 65 counties whole, only split up 18 counties once, and up to five counties twice. The proposed changes would take effect for the next redistricting process slated for 2021, which is just following the 2020 census. If passed, issue one would make Ohio the first state to require a certain level of support from the two major parties to approve a congressional redistricting map in the state legislature. Supporters of Issue One assert that the proposed legislation will create fair, bipartisan, and transparent process when drawing congressional districts, and that will increase politicians' accountability to voters. Issue One is supported by the Ohio Republican Party, the Ohio Democratic Party, and a host of state organizations, and is endorsed by the region's major newspapers. There is no formal, organized opposition to Issue One, but proponents have argued the bill. Uh, th- those who are opposed, or at least say that they are concerned, say that the bill doesn't go far enough to curb gerrymandering. Others maintain that the current system, whereby the party in power can draw the districts, should remain as it is. And I, I brought with me uh, a map that I borrowed from State Representative Mike Curtin, who is uh, former State Representative Mike Curtin, who was also uh, a reporter and a publisher at the Columbus Dispatch, and it shows the current map and and the districts have been kind of broken out so you can see what the current districts all look like and you can decide for yourself if the current system is indeed fair. (laughs) So, we are here to discuss the genesis of the bill as well as its benefits and drawbacks and joining me on stage here Senate President Larry Obhoff, he's the president of the Ohio Senate, representing the people of the 22nd Senate District, which includes Medina, Ashland, and Richland Counties, as well as portions of Holmes County. In early February, President Obhoff signed the resolution to reform the congressional district drawing process after weeks of negotiations between party leaders. Next to him, Catherine Turser, Executive Director of Common Cause Ohio, and a member of the Fair District's Fair Elections Coalition, which worked with lawmakers to prioritize redistricting reform and to craft the legislation. And... Senator Kenny Yuko, he is the Senate Minority Leader in the Democratic Caucus, he represents Ohio's 25th District, that includes parts of both Cuyahoga and Lake Counties. So thank you all for being here, and with that, let's get started. I want to ask you by just kind of setting this whole thing up, how did we get here? How did we get here? We, We voted on State House redistricting reform for the State House and the State Senate in 2015, it passed. And then at the time, Catherine, you and others who were talking about congressional redistricting reform was next, well, that was 2015. We're now in 2018. I just want to find out how we got here, and I'll start with you, President Abhoff. How did we get here now, three years after state house redistricting reform? Sure,
3: Um, well, at at least as far as my involvement in in getting here goes, um, we started talking about this. Um, We've talked about it on and off for a long time, and, and that happened last spring as well. Um, Senator Frank LaRose, uh, who, who's here today, has uh, probably called me once a week uh, since 2011 um, <laughs> to, to try to get us moving on these issues and had sponsored a number of resolutions over the years, um, uh, including one that passed the Senate in the 129th General Assembly, so I think around the end of 2012, um, and, and it introduced uh, SJR 3 uh, earlier this General Assembly. And so it's an issue that's been out there for a very long time that a lot of people have worked on. Uh, Secretary husted um, and uh, and Joyce Beatty and a number of people on both sides of the aisle um, tried to get a compromise on on these issues at, at least as far back as maybe 12 or 13 years ago. There have been several ballot issues uh, over that same time frame um, to try to uh, change how we draw congressional districts or congressional and state level districts uh, or or both. And um, that, that has always been ongoing in the background. Uh, but last summer, uh, the legislative leaders met um, after, after fair districts had uh, started to gather signatures, but well before they were at the number that, that they are now. Um, and, and we started to talk to each other about whether or not we thought we could uh, actually reach a compromise. Uh, there were a lot of people, again, going back 12, 14 years, maybe longer, who've tried that, who've come in some cl- cases closer than others, but never really been able to get over that last final hurdle. And um, I'm not sure how optimistic any of us were at the outset. Uh, I actually wanted to do it last June, and I just said, all right, in the next seven days, we're going to come up with something, and we're going to work this out. And uh, and uh, the, the members of the House, in particular, uh, leadership, um, thought that it made more sense for us to have a, a committee of um, um, representatives from each caucus from the, uh, the Republican side and the Democrat side in both chambers uh, to sit down and try to work these issues out. Um, so we started that process and, and had them work together for a few months last fall and um, they made. What I thought were recommendations, at least privately, to leadership, um, I'm not sure that the Democratic members were ever really on board with those uh, necessarily, but there were some big picture concepts that everybody agreed on, and that kind of got the discussion rolling. And then in January, um, we were looking at the deadline for getting something on the ballot and just said, okay, Matt Huffman, um, work on a bill, introduce or, or a resolution to introduce it and if people agree on it great and if they don't it at least gets the conversation started because you can have as many conversations in the background as you want but until you actually put pen to paper until you actually start having hearings on a real proposal um, you're still just talking in the background and that might be another six months it might be another 12 months Uh, so so we really tried to kickstart the process and uh, matt knew at the time that he introduced it that it would probably um, blow up in his face and uh, get a lot of uh, pushback, uh, but we, we thought that getting that pushback and then seeing where everybody really was would at least give us a starting point for negotiations.
2: Uh, very optimistic that uh, <laughs> he thought well, it was going to you never blow know. You have
3: about three or four weeks. <laughs>
2: well, well, speaking so. of optimism, Catherine Turser has been incredibly optimistic <laughs> because you've been working on this for, what, 20 years now? I mean, when, when President Obhoff mentions people who've been involved, you are one of those people who has actually taken this to the ballot and
0: not been successful. So um, one of the things I know about redistricting reformers, we are some of the most persistent people. <laughs> Um and right and, and, and so one of the things that I think about that is that um, we you know we have a vision of something better and we understand that you know something that happens every ten years behind closed doors has a real impact on our vote and and yes, we're a swing state, and we understand, you know, we're the swingiest of swing states. We understand that something's wrong when we look at what happens to the vote. And when we look at, the you know, those disaggregated districts, you start to be like, you know, pretty is as pretty does, as my mother would say. However, <laughs> those are some ugly districts, and not just because they are misshapen. They're ugly because they divide communities. They're ugly because they create safe districts um, and less competition, and it's hard to hold the folks that go to Washington for us to represent us accountable if in fact we don't participate in real elections. And so I know for myself, I've always had this vision that we should all have a voice and our vote is so connected. And so when I think about like, you know, where have we come from, how long has this been going on, I go back and I think about the first time there was a redistricting reform measure on the ballot which was in 1981. 1981. So, the League of Women Voters collected a bunch of signatures. They worked with a guy named Jim Rhodes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, in that case, the Republicans um, were out of power, and the Republicans were really interested in addressing the unfairness in the map making. You know that one-party map making marginalizes one party, and which other party is out of power is more interested in reform, right? I mean, just naturally. Um, Now, what's interesting about that is it led to, you know, like Joan Lawrence, who was a state rep from Pataskala. So, um, you know, for years and years, she continued working to promote redistricting reform. She was joined, uh, she was a Republican. She was joined with a Democrat named Vern Sykes. I know. Uh, uh, And so it's been this long, (laughs) yeah, it's been this long, long, like kind of long road. And so when um, I got involved 20 years ago, I'm new at this, <laughs> right? And so when I when somebody says to me, like, why is it, why is it that uh, redistricting reform is on this year's ballot? Like, why is it on May, on the May ballot? And I think there are lots of different reasons. Um, clearly, um, I, I call it the mosquito principle redistricting reformers are persistent, and they are like little mosquitoes <laughs> going like this at our, our state reps and our state senators, just kind of nudging the dialogue along. So that's made a huge difference. And then I really think, anyone in this room collect any signatures? Oh yeah, oh, okay, wow. all, right. all right, yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So let's think about this. Um, When we got through 2015, I really thought, okay, the next logical step, we passed state legislative redistricting reform. The next step is Congress. You told me that on election night. I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it seems like, I mean, you know, it's like we did something that improved elections for Ohioans for years to come. And like in 2015, I was so incredibly hopeful. But the stakes are bigger when it comes to Congress. It, I mean, it is incredibly difficult, and we are in an incredibly polarized time. And I would say that it is a minor miracle that Democrats, Republicans came together and they said, hey, let's get this done. Um, and part of the reason they came together to get it done has to do with, let's say, a gentle nudge from voters all over Ohio who signed petitions, uh, and which were now at nearly 250,000. And so when you think about the power of the people, this is a story about the power of the legislature saying, let's give the power to the voters, but it's also a story about direct democracy and about voters taking power for themselves.
2: And I want to bring uh, Minority Leader Kenny Yuko into this, so tell us how we got here.
1: Well, as as the Senate President indicated, you know, it started out with a, a very good idea, bringing together the Senate President and the Senate Minority Leader with the Speaker of the House and the House Minority Leader we would each appoint one person. Um, my choice was Senator Vern Sykes, because he had a wealth of knowledge which he was willing to share with all of us. Um, we, he
2: and Vern Sykes and Matt Huffman were both involved in the state legislative redrawing. That's, that's yes. correct.
1: So, you know, we, we had a, a group that was on a mission. We worked very diligently. And, of course, we had partners, 40 of them. You know, and anyone tried to herd 40 cats at one time? <laughs> um, <laughs> the a very common similarity between what we had to deal with with 40 coalition groups, and because they all had their ideas. I, I was looking through my desk last night, and I came across a, a notebook that the National Council of Jewish Women gave me as my marching orders as we proceeded with this process. And they said very specifically, if you don't reach our, our consensus on all of these points, you, know, <laughs> you, you better not support it, is what it came down to. And, uh, and that was just one group out of 40. So give you some idea of what we had to deal with. And there were many, many occasions. I would walk down to the president's office, and I'd, and I'd greet him, and he'd be standing with a big smile on his face, and he says, "Hey, we're going to do this because I talked to Matt Huffman, and he said we are so close." <laughs> and I'm sitting there saying, "Okay, uh, this is going to be awkward." <laughs> I said, I "Came down here earlier <laughs> like because <laughs> I have, you know, are we talking about the same idea? Because I, I'm hearing just the opposite. You know, we are not close at all." So it, it put us sometimes in, in very awkward situations, but. To, to no end you know we, we never gave up and you know there's a lot of people who thought it was an hysterical notion that we should even attempt some, something like this and it turned out to be a historical notion that we did this because i don't think anyone thought democrats and republicans and from the ohio senate and from the ohio house could come together with a group of 40 partners and come across and say hey listen folks we have an idea that we know we can sell not only to our colleagues but to 11 and half million people in the state of ohio and that's, I think, speaks volumes for the people that are on this DS with me today. I tell you, I give kudos to both of them. Neither one of them gave up. Neither, neither one of them gave in. They, they were both, you know, we didn't, I can, I can assure you, if President Abhoff had his way, this initial would look a little different than what we wound up with. And the same thing for Catherine, and the same thing for myself.
2: It was a compromise.
1: But it was a compromise. And sometimes, you know, it, it takes big people to get together and, and form a, a compromise. Um, but I think what the end result is, it took Ohio from a position where, looking at that map, you can see we're looking at the ball of confusion and, and putting some rhyme and reason to this process. You know, and most importantly, it's, it's kind of it can take the process and share it, when not just the legislators, not with just the 40-member coalition, but from every single member who, or resident who lives in the state of Ohio. They're all going to have that opportunity to participate and have their voices heard. And I can't think of too many pieces of legislation where we give that much power to so many people. So it's kind of exciting.
2: Well, and I said it in the opening uh, remarks here that uh, if this passes, it will be the first one in the nation that would have bipartisan support. But some of what you're saying here kind of raises some questions about it did pass, 82 to 10 in the House, which means 10 people, six Republicans, and four Democrats voted against it. There have been some people who have raised concerns. The ACLU says they're not opposed to it, but they're not supporting it because it doesn't go far enough. So let me ask you about that specifically. Does it really guarantee that the next map, it won't look like this, but will it have fair districts and create fair elections? Well, I'll start with you, President Ahoff.
3: Um, well, I, I think that depends on what you mean by fair, uh, whether you think that means exactly 50 percent for one party and 50 percent for another, or if it means that the communities are accurately represented. Um, if you have a community that's 75 percent Republican or 70 percent Democrat, arguably you shouldn't end up with a 50-50 district in a place like that unless you're doing weird things to snake around the state and try to try to draw in other communities. Um, but. I don't think there's any question that under the language that is in issue one, if that passes, uh, the next set of maps um, will alleviate uh, many of the the potential problems that you would see on the map over here. Um, Several of the districts that we have today um, wouldn't be permissible uh, under that process uh, for example there is a limitation um, not just on how many times you can divide counties uh... but uh... also on how many uh... counties can be divided by the same two districts so you can't have Two districts snaking along each other, splitting counties in half, two or three counties in a row. You can
2: see how many districts actually that happens in. So yeah,
3: there is. uh, I I believe in the twelfth district, um, which is in central Ohio. There is there is one county where um, there are two portions of the county that are non-contiguous that are in the district, and under the rules in issue one, um, you could not have non-contiguous portions of the same county. They'd actually have to touch each other. So if you divide a county and half of it is there or a third of it is there fine but you can't come in down here go up 20 miles come in over here or go up 10 more miles and come in from the top and avoid everything in between that doesn't fit the profile of the district that you're trying to make Um, and the limitations aren't just on how much you can divide counties but on how many times you can divide them so that you won't have situations like you have in Summit County today um, where there are four different districts now arguably some of that is because Summit County is just sort of located near a lot of other things and and is really central but um, I don't think there's anybody who lives in Summit County, and we've got some legislators from there here today who think that it's a good idea to break a county four times. And I can tell you, if you tried to cut Medina County four times in the map, I wouldn't have voted for it. Um, so, a lot of those problems will be dealt with, uh, but uh, more importantly um, than any of the specific rules, um, the minority party will have real power. Uh, to negotiate uh, something that everybody thinks is more fair for the voters. Uh, because while a lot of Democrats voted for the current map, frankly, uh, quite, quite a few of them did, they didn't really have a lot of negotiating power at that stage because there's always the opportunity, hey, work with us and we'll do a slightly better map, or, um, we'll do what we want, we'll pass it with 51 votes, and in this system you can't do that. You actually have to sit down and work out um, real compromise, and the minority party, whether it's at the first stage with 50% or at the final stage, um, where the number is lower but still significant, um, they have real bargaining power. They have the opportunity to say, or you just don't get a 10-year map. and, and you, that's
2: chaotic, to not have a map, to, yeah. to have to come back and redo that process. So that's that's the real incentive here, is to work together to get a map that lasts for 10 years so yes. you don't have to keep redoing it.
3: And in addition to the fear of a four-year map, um, and I, I think it's legitimate that, that people in the majority wouldn't want that scenario, um, there's also limitations on what they can do so it's not like you can just say okay forget you we're gonna have a four-year map and we're gonna cram down a super partisan map and you're gonna have to live with it there are restrictions at that stage that say you cannot um, unduly favor one party or another um, or one party's candidates or another Um, and uh, there are extra efforts at that stage to keep uh, counties and municipalities and townships whole so there really isn't any opportunity if you want to be hyper partisan there's no light at the end of the tunnel for you
2: well let me ask uh, before Catherine I know you want to weigh in here but I want to ask uh, Minority Leader Yuko on that I mean did Democrats give up too much to get too little here
1: you know I don't don't believe so and and, uh, what we have here is an opportunity and and people have have continually asked me do we have a guarantee here of, of winning additional Democratic seats and as we want to talk about guarantees can we guarantee Great candidates. Can we guarantee that they're going to raise enough money? Because if we do, I still can't guarantee it. You know, <laughs> you, you can't guarantee how people are going to vote. You can't guarantee how they're going to react to a TV commercial. You can't guarantee how they're going to react to a piece of literature you get in the mail. So the bottom line is there are no guarantees. You know, it's up to all of us to do our due diligence and make things happen. Does it create an opportunity? It does create an opportunity. But again, there's, there's a lot of other parts of that equation that all must fall into place in order for it to make this happen.
2: Catherine, guarantees? I mean, how frustrating will it be to you and the people who have gathered the signatures and, and signed the petitions and everything if they aren't fair districts at the end?
0: Okay, so, so this is the way that I look at it. Okay, so what makes us unhappy about this district map that we have right now? It was created by one political party, right? Um, and marginalizes the other party. Okay, well, um, issue one addresses this by, through bipartisan map making and a bipartisan process. What else makes me totally crazy about this map? Well, it was created in a hotel room, 500 feet from the State House. In a hotel room, because of public records, we know that the map makers, the consultants, so that we're not talking about public officials doing this, but the consultants, um, they call it the bunker. And so, Let's bring, you know, what's the opposite of that? Let's do transparency. So issue one focuses on having public hearings. The other thing that's happened, because, uh, and actually it was way worse in, in 2001. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know, because of the 20 year history, but in 2001, for example, there was a, a, there was a time period where what the what they map makers did is they released the map, and they wanted to vote on it immediately. And even this past time in in 2011, we had a circumstance where um, they front-loaded a lot of the public hearings, and it's hard to participate and comment and be part of a citizen engagement process if you don't actually have maps to comment on. If you're going and saying, I like to keep my community together, this is how I see my community, that can be helpful to map makers, but if you front-load it there's a problem because you need a little bit of time between when a proposed map is out there and you know, have some time for comments so that you can actually say, oh, hey, wait a second, there's a problem. You've actually divided a school district here. Or you have to say, hey, you know um, I think you mentioned earlier, hey, the, you know, this area right here, why are we missing this county? This makes no sense. So um, I think that this is something that's a very good change in issue one. So the other thing, that I know makes a lot of us um, distrustful is the lack of citizen engagement. And so issue one focuses on giving us the tools so that we can do maps. Now you know, most of us are not gonna wanna be map makers, but knowing that you have the ability to make maps and show hey, this is how it should look allows us to participate more fully in a public process. Now I actually believe for this map to be fair, we citizens will have to be part of that process. We will have to make a commitment to greater transparency. We will have to make a commitment to doing whatever we can to get engaged and to push back on things that we don't like. So what's not fair? Keeping the citizens out. This brings the citizen in. What's not fair? Um, all sorts of crazy districts. You know, if you start with those 65 counties that have to be kept together, and many of the other rules that you identified, I think. Right now, we have the wild, wild west. These are some good rules. Well,
2: I, I want to ask, and I want to start with uh, Minority Leader Yuko on this, <laughs> the idea of hearings and transparency and bringing people into the process. Well, as a member of the minority party, are you concerned, and, and I mean, deep in the minority here on the Senate side, the House is also it's a Republican supermajority over there. Are you concerned that even with public hearings, even with citizen engagement, that potentially the majority party could decide no, we're not going to take public input into account.
1: You know, Karen, I think we, I learned a val- very valuable lesson when it came time working on our medical marijuana bill and talk about public input and public hearings. As you know, Senator David Burke and I, we went a listening tour all over Ohio, and we listened to, we visited people's homes, we had people constantly coming into our office. People of Ohio are engaged. We are not the swing state that we've become noto- noted for because our, our residents want to sit by the sidelines. They want to get engaged. They want to be part of the process. And I think they, the, the volumes that they, they came out and spoke uh, on the medical marijuana issue, and you know they were reaching out to us throughout the entire process on this redistricting. And they all had their ideas. And some were very good ideas. Some were very concise. Some people spent uh, probably weeks at a time drawing their own version of their own maps. And yet, I another lady came by, and she says, "It's very simple. I'm a quilter. You make a quilt. You draw the state of Ohio. You cut it out, and bam! You know, you pick up 16 squares, and we got the state of Ohio. You know, what's the problem? You know, it doesn't always work out that way. It's not always that easy. Um, we'll get there."
2: Uh, well, I want to ask President uh, opoff the same question. I mean. If we trust you, you won't always be the Senate president. You won't always be in the in the legislature. How can sure. we trust that the majority party is going to listen to people who come and, and share their maps and share their thoughts at these public hearings? Well,
3: I, I actually won't be uh, Senate president when the next set of yep. maps is drawn. No. Um, uh, this term limits will kick in for me before that. But... Uh, uh, I think that the process is set up in such a way that it doesn't really matter whether you trust the president or not. Um, if if uh, the minority, uh, and they have nine members right now, if, if, if you can't get five of their votes, you're not passing a map. Uh, and when you get to the final stage, I think you would still need uh, uh, three of their votes. And um, that's that's harder to do than you think if you're, if you're cramming down something that is very partisan um, to do it in both chambers, too. So it's not even a matter of, um, the leader of one chamber going to the members uh, of the other party in that chamber and saying, listen, um, you know, I need an agreement, can we do this? You need both sides to do that. And I think it assumes an awful lot about, um, I think it assumes too much to think that the leaders of both chambers would be able to do that with a map that didn't actually make more sense, um, one that didn't treat both <laughs> sides fairly and that wasn't respectful of the voters of the state of Ohio. Um, so. I I think we've set up procedural safeguards on the assumption that while people will try to work together, hopefully, um, we're all imperfect and uh, it might not actually shape out that way. And um, it's an inherently political process, and it always will be. And uh, I think I heard somebody earlier, it might have been Kenny or or Frank at at lunch, um, said that uh, trying to take the politics out of... Uh, Map drawing is like trying to take the wetness out of water. Um, You just can't do it. Um, But uh, if you have to work with the other side, if the rules are such that you need buy-in from the other side, and you have to follow all of the other rules that are put in place, um, even if you don't trust each other, even if you don't work well together, if you want a map, you're gonna have to do it.
2: Well, let me ask Catherine. This was, as we talked about, being a compromise. This is not what your ballot issue, that mm-hmm. people are still collecting signatures for that, uh, that would look like you had wanted to hand the power to draw the map over to a, a commission and, not, and, and try to take some of the partisan politics out of it, even though, like you say, President al it's pretty hard to do.
0: So um, I was part of ballot measures in two thousand five and two thousand twelve. Reform Ohio Now. Yes, Reform Ohio Now and Voters First. And yes. so we, you know, we tried different ways to think about. I mean, there are lots of different ways to get to good reform, which we know from you know issue one is quite different than some of the different ideas that are out there. Um, but we looked at well, what about an independent commission? What about focusing on competition? And that was uh, two thousand five. Then in 2012, the idea was, hey, it, it, we want to do an independent commission again, and, and let's have it have it mirror some of the the things that we had in our uh, we had this redistricting competition in 2009 and 2011. So we focused on compactness and keeping counties whole, and um, a competitiveness and um, what's called representational fairness, which is like you look across across 10 years and you see, hey, you know, what are we basically if we're 53, 47, well. Some districts are gonna head right, some are gonna head left, um, but they should be about you know, 50-50 um, you know, just as a guideline. Um, and we lost, like we lost badly. We got our butts kicked. And so, um, are you smiling because you were one of the butt kickers? <laughs> He's smiling because he was one of the butt kickers. Um, but that made it say, okay, so clearly, Clearly, an independent commission's not working yet for y'all. Um, what about a bipartisan commission? And what can, we, you know, what can we encourage the state legislature to do? And we had this thing called the Constitutional Modernization Commission, where there were all these long talks. Um, so, so Matt Huffman and Vern Sykes were on a committee that considered, uh, and it felt like we were going to have this committee forever, and nothing was ever going to happen. <laughs> and um, sometimes, you know, like when people, politician people, Sometimes they talk so long you actually think oh, something actually might have happened. Nothing happened, <laughs> right? But finally, you know, we got to December of 2014, and it felt like you know, like you know, uh, you know, pigs are flying around the state house um, because um, that was the point that they came up with bipartisan map making and some really good rules um, that was given to a bipartisan Ohio redistricting commission for the state legislative maps. And so our proposal, the, the citizen initiative, in fair districts, fair elections, um, that proposal really focused on as much as possible mirroring um, what, what passed in 2015. Um, and, and what I would say to all of you is there are lots of different ways to curb gerrymandering. Um, Issue one is one of the ways we can do that, and the thing that's really beautiful about this is, you know, much like I talked about pigs flying around the statehouse, the fact that we have um, we have someone on my left and someone on my right uh, from both political parties coming together to actually promote something that will give voters power is beautiful. And it's not exactly what we collected signatures on, but it doesn't make it something we shouldn't support just because it's not exactly what I wanted. Well, today we are enjoying a forum on com with.
2: Oh, great. <laughs> Let's do that. Today we are enjoying a forum, a conversation on the Bipartisan Congressional Redistricting Reform Amendment, otherwise known as Issue 1, featuring, you just heard, Catherine Turser, Executive Director of Common Cause Ohio, also Ohio Senate President Larry Abhoff, and Senator Kenny Yuko, the leader of the Ohio Senate Democratic Caucus. We are about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining via our webcast. If you'd like to tweet your question, please tweet us at the City Club, all one word and our staff will work it into the program. And holding our microphones today, our Youth Forum Chair, Or Orsanya, and Content Coordinator, Bliss Davis. So do we have a question for the panel? We have questions. Oh, we have All great, right. <laughs> Go ahead.
3: Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for um, putting together a great panel, a great discussion on a very important topic. Um, one of the things, Catherine, you had talked about was uh, in our current especially federal government, it seems like there is a a win-lose mentality, like we're gonna get everything of what we want and nothing of what you want. And I think one of the things that surprised folks about this process was um, how people really came together uh, from different parties and different factions and really work together and compromise. So my question to everyone on the panel are, what lessons could be learned from this process in governance that could be translated to other topics where people want to see things come together and actually happen?
2: Let's start with President Al-Hoff.
3: Um I, I think probably the, the most important lessons are, are don't give up, uh, because there were four or five times, maybe more where we thought this was over. I was
2: reporting that yeah. it was, it, it, nothing happened. Marathon <laughs> talks, nothing happened.
3: And 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 there was actually at least one time where I thought we were still talking and I read in the Plain Dealer that we weren't. <laughs> and, and the Plain Dealer had written that because um, one of the people that I thought we were still talking with had written on Twitter that we weren't. Um, <laughs> And uh, um, so, so that's, that's part of it. But I think the other part, um, and, and probably the most important message for people here in Ohio at the local level, at the state level, in Washington, um, is that you can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, Kenny and I didn't see eye to eye on this from the beginning. Um, Vern Sykes and I uh, didn't see eye to eye on this. And, and I'm sure that if, if Matt Huffman or I uh, sat down and wrote what we thought was the right plan, it would be very different than if Kenny and Vern sat down and wrote it. Um, but we all recognized that it was time for somebody to do something for 12 or 14 or 20 or 35 years. Um, People have talked about this issue and not been able to get it done and do we really want to have this fight next year and the next year and even if there is a ballot issue then we can have a fight over whether that passes, and if it does, maybe we try to repeal that and replace it with a different ballot issue in four years, or do we all just want to be adults and work together for the next month and argue a lot, but eventually come to the right conclusion, or, or at least a conclusion that everyone can live with, and move on to the other issues that we could be spending our time on, like fighting the opioid epidemic and improving infrastructure and trying to bring more jobs to Ohio, and... Um, I think it was just a recognition that we're not in the same place, um, we don't all want the same things, but at the end of the day we want, we we share the common goal of doing what is right for the voters of Ohio and being professional and getting along and trying to accomplish something.
0: Catherine. I kept getting this song in my head. Why can't we be friends? <laughs> 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 um, so um, I know um, It is a a struggle. It is a struggle to come up with good policy. It's a struggle of ideas. um, And what I took away from this is the power of it being a struggle of ideas, not a struggle of nastiness.
1: You know, I I relate back to a story when I met somebody at a luncheon down in Columbus. And I walked up and said, hi, I'm Kenny Yuko. And and she's there like,
0: yes, (laughs) I know.
1: And I said, I'm with the Ohio Senate. And she goes, and I'm with the League of Women Voters. And I said, okay, well. That's nice. And you know, she said, we worked hard. We worked hard. We, got, we collected signatures. We did our due diligence. We did this and we did that. And you think you're just going to come by and take over? And I said, well, that's not exactly how it went. <laughs> and there are a lot more challenges than just collecting signatures. You know, there is there a whole process that can become very expensive, involves an awful lot of money. And unless you're extremely wealthy, because I know I'm not, you know, uh, you might have to really do your due diligence in collecting enough money, signatures, and all the other expenses that are associated with running a campaign like that. I said, so this is going to help spearhead some very serious conversation. We also had an issue, too, last November, which very few people understood. This is one issue that I'm very proud to say that as I'm going all over the place, everyone's saying, hey, we finally have an issue we can vote on about uh, an issue that we can agree with one that we understand one that was written i think with a, a lot of fairness you know it's not perfect by anyone's standards but it's going to be one that's going to really be all-inclusive and again you know it's we had our disagreements but we disagreed respectfully we, we reached out to one another on many occasions and said okay let's let's hang in there and let's keep keep fighting because we had something that was worth fighting for we had a lot of people who are counting on us there were a lot of people who put a lot of effort in in many arenas, whether well, it was collecting the signatures like the league did uh, to other people that were just interested in spending a lot of time traveling down to Columbus to meet with us in our offices, respective offices, to share their point of view and ask us for our cooperation. And when it came push to shove, well, we all got together. We all did the right thing. We did it in the right time. We had a deadline. So it wasn't that we could take our good old time. I mean, it, And of course, Larry, I think we pushed that to about as tight as we <laughs> yeah. can so push anything. Yeah, you did. About one hour before we voted on it. You know, We're reaching across the table and shaking hands. So that gives you some idea how close it came to not happening. But it did happen. And like I said, we took it from an agreement and an hour later to a vote. And when it passes unanimously, it says something about, you know what, what we did was done correctly.
2: I had to think when you said we had an issue last year, issue two, that was the drug price issue. I I, I had to try to remember what that was. But yeah, that was a challenge. (laughs) Let's go to the next question. Thank you. I, first of all, I applaud you on achieving consensus on a very controversial issue that's obviously worked decades to get to this point. And um, I think we all here would wish there was more of that in Washington and Columbus because what we're seeing is, you know, dysfunction, and I think it's why people really don't like government right now. Um, So I applaud you on that. But my question is, if I were of the ACLU mind and think we could have done better, what and what would happen if this um, does not pass? What What is your mo- your best projection on what the next steps will be on redistricting? I know Catherine hates this question, so I'm going to ask her to answer it first.
0: <laughs> okay. So so um, I want to win so bad I can taste it. <laughs> um, that being sa- that being said, I think. Um, you know, Ohio's really leading the way here, and so it's, you know, it's it's exciting to think about us leading the way, um, both with um, issue one of 2015 and doing the state legislative redistricting reform, and here we have the opportunity to do congressional redistricting reform. Um, for people who go to the, go to vote and they're like, hey, it's just not quite good enough. It's not quite what I exactly want. Your choice is between issue one and the status quo. Your choice is between some rules, including greater transparency, rules that keep communities together, et cetera, bipartisan map making, or the wild, wild west of map making, where one party has the ability to make these crazy districts. Now, Elbridge Gary, who is the jerry of gerrymandering, um, the mander is a salamander, he might want to draw like incredibly insane districts, but he was limited because he didn't have computers. And the thing about that is, so in, in 2011, when they you know did the map making, um, obviously, um, before computers, we wouldn't have imagined a district that started in Toledo and ended in Cleveland. We, we, we couldn't envision how to even do that. Um, but what's important is if you overlay lots and lots of personal data onto the voter data as well, which you could, one-party map making could be seriously problematic in 2021. Um, And so since
2: we're likely to lose a congressional district correct since we're likely to lose a
0: congressional district so so I guess what what I always as we as we look at going to vote your vote is good rules transparency blah 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 all those good things or Something that's likely even worse than this and so um, What I would say you know the ACLU made a very distinct choice to say we deserve better That's what they do Right? They push the boundaries. They are the folks that are out there promoting the First Amendment. They, you know, they're pushing boundaries, and that's good. But what they did not do is say, don't vote for it.
2: That's, they, they, that's right. They said they did not oppose, but they did not support. So let me ask you, Senator Hugo, what, what happens if this doesn't pass? What, what do we do?
1: I hate, you know, I, if people are probably noticing, I, I have something, I'm wearing something that's very noticeable. Oh, I'm talking what? about my cufflinks. Come <laughs> on. <ladies. laughs> It says boat, and I, I had these cufflinks before the issue one, or else I would have said vote for issue one. So <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that. Um, you know, I, I don't see how this thing, when people look at it, and they look at, like we've just referred to as, as the status quo, what we have at the present time and what we're offering them, and the contrast is day and night. I think there is a very specific reason why there is no really formal opposition to what we're doing. I think everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, has to admit to some degree that, you know what, somehow or other, these folks did a good job. And, and, and again, it wasn't by accident. I mean, uh, I, I've never thought in my entire life I would spend an entire afternoon in Akron on a Sunday discussing the word unduly uh, 863 <laughs> times. But we did. OK? I didn't even know what the word unduly meant half the time when they were using <laughs> it. But that's what happens, you know, in this little catch phrases like that that we did our due diligence to make sure that every possible scenario is dressed to the best of our ability to ensure that you know what every single voter out here who deserves the best representation that we can give them we would have that option by putting certain standards in into the legislation that would guarantee not only your voice but the minority voice as well knowing that if we didn't meet those criteria there would be punishment in the terms of going from a 10-year plan to a four-year plan which nobody wants it's not, it wasn't really an option. It was a consequence. And, and there's a big difference. And I think because of that, um, like Catherine says, I can't even picture a no vote on this. I really can't.
2: <laughs> President Obama. Um,
3: yeah, I, I think it's going to pass. So hopefully we won't ever have to address this question. But my, my suggestion to people on either side, um, whether it's uh, in favor of the current system and, and basically no rules, or people who want more rules to be in place, or or some other formula to be in place is to um, remind them of the uncertainty that actually led us to reach the compromise in the first place. Um, uh, Maybe Catherine's group would have gotten the signatures for this year, maybe they wouldn't have, uh, but sooner or later they would have, and maybe they would have had the money uh, and the messaging to win, but maybe, I would have raised a couple million dollars, and, and we would have had a repeat of 2012, and then we would be back at the drawing board um, doing this again, uh, and and maybe the legislature would have put up a different plan that we liked that uh, Catherine was able to defeat at the ballot box. Um, and uh, again, uh, going back to 1981, at least, um, we've fought over this issue and debated this issue, and, and sooner or later, I think we all need to just ask ourselves, is it time to move on and just get this done. And if you don't get it done, if you, if you let the um, perfect be the enemy of the good, um, are you sure that you're gonna end up on the winning side in the next round of this fight? And do you really wanna keep fighting for 10 more years or 12 more years or until... <laughs> until 2045 <laughs> until <I retire. laughs> um, and and I guess I would say that I think there's enough uncertainty on each side of that um, that uh, even if you did want the perfect to be the enemy of the good you shouldn't assume that you would win um, on either side and I think that that's that's good if, if all of us feel like there's a sword hanging over our heads um, that makes us work this out and that's what we did um, so I, I, would, I would hope that everyone would vote for Issue 1 um, because they think it's a big step in the right direction and not let the fact that um, there might have been a bigger step, uh, from your perspective, um, not let that get in the way.
2: Let's go to another question.
3: A lot of the discussion is concerned methodology and process, and my question is about results and effects. Um, there are observers nationwide and in Ohio who believe that one of the consequences of highly partisan district drawing is the polarization that we've seen in our politics, nas- especially nationally. We here in Ohio are much more reasonable. But, um, and we have actual living re- l- legislators here. So my question is, do you believe that fairer districts or more uh, uh, representative districts will, how do you believe that will change the way that the politics is played in your houses, in your, in your careers in Ohio government?
2: Let's start with President Opoff on that.
3: Um, I, I do think it matters. Um, um, you know, I, I think at the federal level, actually, though, um, despite the current maps, we tend to have um, probably more moderate members of Congress than, uh, than a lot of people would expect. Um, I don't think that you could look at, you know, for example, former Congressman T. Berry or Congressman Stivers and say um, those guys are on the fringe one way or another, they're not. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, if you have a district that is very safe um, and at the congressional level the, the, they're pretty safe but at the state level with smaller districts we actually see this even more when you get up to about sixty five or seventy percent i mean you're starting up by thirty or forty points in a generic ballot um, you're never in any kind of danger at all and um, arguably if, if your district um, has a political breakdown like that then you may very well be representing them properly by by uh... uh sharing viewpoints that tilt one way or the other But if there isn't any concern that every two years or every four years um, you're going to be judged for your job performance, um, you're probably not going to perform as well. Uh, I I think that if you live in a district that is 50-50 or or close to it or or in the the case of a number of state senators, um, in in my caucus uh, we currently hold several seats that are less than 50-50 for Republicans. Um, those members tend to be um, very well engaged back in their districts. They work very hard um, and they tend to focus on um, the issues that almost universally matter to everybody there, Um, job creation, Um, again fighting the heroin epidemic and not necessarily on what you would consider the hot button more partisan issues if you're in a district where you start up by 40 you can focus exclusively on that or you can not show up for your job at all or a whole host of other things and not really worry about consequences and I think every public official ought to be worried about consequences you ought to be Trying to represent the people you're there to represent, and if you're not, there should be a legitimate fear that you lose your job in the next cycle.
2: Well, and, and this current map, mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, the sixteen members of Congress have won by double-digit margins. If if you win your primary, typically you're going to win the mm-hmm. general election on under this current map. Let me ask you, uh, Minority Leader Yuko.
1: Well, you know, Karen uh, and Bill, you're an educator. You've been you've been teaching all your life. Uh, this is about us us teaching. The voters that, and the name itself is implies. When you have fair districts, you get fair elections. When you get fair elections, you get different results. And I think what we're going to see in the in the long term here is again a better representation of what the state of Ohio actually is in in the way of voters. We're not as lopsided as the congressional districts appear to be and make us sound like. Uh, I think the result is going to be different attitudes in the way we look at, uh, at elections and, and election results, not only that who wins or loses, but what they stand for and how they vote in Washington. And it's going to just create, I think, a, a clearer environment where the voters are going to have a lot more power and a lot more voice than what they've had in the past, and that's why I see it.
0: How do you see it, Katherine? Um, so has anyone ever seen a picture of John Boehner mowing his lawn? I try not to. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're saying yourself, why am I thinking of this? So the reason I'm thinking of this is during 2011 um, when the map making was done in the hotel room, the bunker, um, they would check in on a regular basis with Team Boehner, and so they would check in, you know, to see what the U.S. Speaker of the House uh, thought, and I've often wondered, you know, when you create districts that are you know marginalized the way that they are you are creating these these more competitive primaries where um, these are you know challenged further to the left and ours are challenged further to the right and it leads to incredible polarization and it makes trying to herd the 444 or 434 other kiddies, very, very difficult. And I've often thought, you know, um, I think that the system, the winner-take-all system really bites the political party that does it in the butt. And that, in fact, there's something really wonderful about thinking about doing something so that we'll have more functional government and people will focus more on working together. And, you know, not everybody's going to be a centrist because of the way that we live in the state of Ohio, but the whole idea that um, we just having slightly more competitive elections will encourage us all to talk with one another. And once again, why can't we be friends? I mean, there is something to that. If you talk to one another and you're engaging in real dialogue, the results when it comes to policy is just going to be better. I think we have time for one more question. Go right ahead.
2: Right, thank you.
3: Uh, I want to start off saying I agree with you too, that you did a good job and. Um, Don't let my question change that, but I really think all the things that that, that I heard today and what I knew about are really, I think are gonna get us there. The one thing I just maybe you could clarify a little more is the safety valve of the four-year map, it it doesn't seem to me to be such an onerous Machiavellian measure that it seems like if things degenerate and if I put on my cynical hat, okay, I get a four-year map that's really partisan and life goes on and we just circumvent all this great stuff. So can you maybe help me understand why the four-year thing is so, such a, such a ax hanging over your head.
2: Sure, let's, let's start with President Mark.
3: Well, well, first of all, um, um, if you got 12 angry phone calls from 12 members of Congress um, <laughs> who wanted 10-year maps, uh, <laughs> it, it is a much bigger sword hanging over your head than you think, probably, um, but, you cannot draw a partisan four year map under this process and this was the heart of the negotiation on the final day when we were meeting in Akron at a community action center that was kind enough to make some coffee for us and open the doors uh, for for a couple hours. Um, You, at that stage, Um, have the additional requirement um, on top of all the rules you already have to follow under issue one that you cannot um, unduly favor one party uh, or parties or their candidates. Um, So so arguably you're begging for a lawsuit that you will probably lose if you have uh, a map that is 75% one party or the other. Um, you have additional uh, safeguards for protecting uh, communities of interest and in particular um, not allowed to unduly um, divide counties, uh, divide uh, cities, uh, divide townships at that point point. and since we already have a number set Um, presumably you're now leaving it up to a judge to say how much lower does that judge personally think you can go on that number Um, so there's a lot of risk on both sides because you don't really know how that's gonna turn out Um, there is a requirement that you actually have to pass an affirmative statement explaining how you followed all of the rules that you were supposed to follow and why you came up with the map that you did Um, so I I would say Again, there is no light at the end of the tunnel if you want to be hyper-partisan about it. You get the opportunity to pass a map by a partisan vote, but it's not a map you're going to like. It's a map that's going to have to be relatively even-handed anyway. Um, and if it's not, it's going to court, I think that it's a direct appeal, is that right, to the Ohio Supreme Court, mm-hmm. um, where they will basically force you to go back to the drawing board and and, uh, and draw a new map if, uh, if, if you don't do it right, so.
2: Let me ask Minority Leader Yuko on that. I mean, in (coughs) other states, sometimes there's a a mechanism where the court draws the map, somebody else draws the map, instead of kicking the map back to the people who didn't draw the map very well the first time. So how do you see it?
1: Well, you know, as as the Senate President indicated, you know, uh, you will get a quick response from your members of Congress right off the bat as to what we're going to actually be doing. I think they like the fact that what we did was Pardon the pun, Karen, it was like a roller coaster ride. Uh, <laughs> she went on a roller coaster at Cedar Point yesterday. so. Uh, so as, as, I highly recommend it, by the way.
2: <laughs> as, we,
1: as we were going through the whole process, I mean, it was absolutely every single day like a roller coaster going up and down with, with where we were at and where we were going, what we needed to do, uh, satisfying all of the issues, satisfying the, the current members of Congress, potential members of Congress, uh, reporters, uh, other media interests. Um, our our friends not only with the league but the other coalition members that all had their things in mind Uh, you know we had the opportunity we had the mechanism in place we had a team of people that were working well together despite the fact that we often disagreed Um, and a lot of point point in times there were many times when when we sat there and in private thought we're not gonna make this it just didn't look good but at the end of the day when push came to shove And like I said, it came down to like with an hour to spare, which isn't a whole lot of time in the (laughs) the legislature, um, we accomplished something that uh, a lot of people questioned whether or not we could actually pull off. And we did it by doing it, I think, the right way. I think any other way that we challenge the system and try to engage in a a new process or a new way of thinking, it will not be anywhere as nearly effective as what we put together in 2017 and 18.
0: So, Catherine? Uh, So uh, I think that a four-year map makes, like like the way that you talked about it, it makes people who are candidates and incumbents nervous because you want to have some sense of like, am I going to have to move in four years? How will that work? I also think if the map is truly horrible, I know some people that are super good at collecting signatures. <laughs> <laughs> and we will just referendum it. I, I mean, so, the, so, so the, the four-year map isn't the end of the, the story. The end of the story isn't that, that. Also, there's the ability to do a referendum. And so as you think about the power of the ability to do a referendum, so if it is a truly non-representative map. If, if we feel really bad about it, um, we'll just collect some signatures. <laughs> there you go. Well today, gotta wrap
2: it up now. Today we've been enjoying a forum on the Bipartisan Congressional Redistricting Reform Amendment, Issue 1, with Ohio Senate President Larry Obhoff, Catherine Turser, Executive Director of Common Cause Ohio, and Senator Kenny Yuko, who's the leader of the Ohio Senate Democratic Caucus. Community partners for today's forum include the Cleveland State University College Republicans and the League of Women Voters of Greater Cleveland. We welcome guests at a table hosted by our strategy group and a table of students from Brookside High School. Student participation is provided by many foundations, including the William, uh, William W. Weiss Foundation. And we thank all of you for being here today. That brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you very much, President Ophoff Catherine Turser, and Minority Leader Kenny Yuko. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This forum is now adjourned.
1: For information on upcoming
0: speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.